at Psalm 82. Um, well, we'll just start. We'll just we'll stop there for now. Psalm 82. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse one, and uh, we'll see how far we get uh, get into this today. And uh, <clears throat> see where we go. So Psalm 81 or 82, verse one. God standeth in the congregation of of the of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Say law. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of, the, are, are out of course. I have said ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge of the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word. And as we take a look at this uh, series, uh, may we come to a better knowledge and understanding of exactly the folks that we're dealing with and the religious system that we're up against, that we can come to a better understanding of that, that we can know how to uh, present your word effectively, um, that it may actually uh, produce in the lost, um, a heart that would desire to, to, to seek salvation through your scriptures, uh, that we might be able to present it correctly and that they would actually, from the scriptures, trust in what you've done through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, a couple things that we've mentioned here. Um, we've, we've talked about this name, Most High, right? And if you remember from the last time, what is it that it means to be the most high? Possessor in heaven of heaven and earth. You go back to Genesis, you can see that, right? So the most high, the purpose of that is to be the possessor of heaven and earth. And what's one of Satan's boasts in Isaiah is what? I will be like the most high. Now, when we look here in Psalm 82... Notice in verse 6, it says, I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. Now, what do we see there? There's a couple different, couple different groups of people there. You've got gods, and what you should notice there is that's a lowercase g, right? And we've talked about the difference between those. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, and what is, what is, what is it that Satan says to Eve is what? You should be like gods knowing good and evil and so what he's telling her is i can give and we've talked about this before he's saying what i can give you a position that god's not giving you in fact he's holding that back from you right because if you go back there and you sit, notice just just go back and look at it real quick don't take my word for it let's look at the verses right <clears throat> in genesis chapter three um and again, notice, notice what's taking place. And of course, we've gone through and we've talked about all the different, different things that takes place in Genesis chapter 3. Um, Satan starts off in verse 1 and he questions God's word, right? So he's questioning the fact of, are you sure that this is exactly what God said? And we see the ramifications of that. Uh, we know and understand that, that, that Eve was beguiled, she was deceived. Um, Adam wasn't, and he purposely chose to follow after that. And there's some other things that we could get into with that as well. 
um, but we won't for, for time's sake. But notice this. <clears throat> notice in verse 5, Satan, of course, is presenting to Eve some information. He says, for God, and you notice that's a, a capital G, doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So when, when Satan shows up and, and comes to Eve and he says, God's withholding something from you is what he's saying. God knows that the day you eat of this, you're going to know good and evil just like these guys out here. And what he's doing is he's presenting that to her as I can give it to you. God's withholding something from you, some information that you really need to know, but I'm the one that can give it to you, right? And that's exactly what we see here. Now, um, let me double get, uh, well, let's just go do this real quick. Get uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1. So when he's talking about the gods there, in, in, in Psalm 82, he brings up the issue of children and gods, and we'll look at that. Notice here, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, um, let's just start here at verse, we'll just jump in here. Uh, verse 38 says, But Joshua, the son of Nun, which standeth before thee, he shall go in thither, encourage him, for he shall cause in Israel to inherit it. And, of course, he's talking about the land up through here. Verse 39, Moreover, your little ones, which ye said should be a prey, and your children, which is in that day, had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither, and unto them I will I give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn you and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Now, what do we notice here in Deuteronomy 1.39? He says what? Moreover, your little ones, which he said, you should, should be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no what? Knowledge between good and evil. That's, there's, there's something that is taking place, and what Satan is saying is, these guys out here know something that you don't know, Right? And, of course, this shows up again here in, in Deuteronomy. Now, back over to Psalm 82. Um, Psalm 82, and notice again, there's two different groups of people that we have here in Psalm 82. Verse 6. I have said ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. Now, what's interesting is <clears throat> there's two different groups of people that's taking place here. And if you look at verse 8, notice again, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit the who? All nations. Now, last time we talked about, first 11 chapters of Genesis is dealing with what? God lays out in chapter 10, here's all the nations, right? You can go through, and I think there's about 70 of them there. You can go through and you can figure out, here's all the nations. And some of the things that we've already talked about and gone through before is, what is it that God did with the Tower of Babel? What, it is it, what is it that he did with those nations is what? He gave them up, gave them up, and gave them over to who? Those folks out there. 
The children here is going to be obviously who? Nation of Israel. Okay, now, one of the things that we talked about is each nation, there's some fallen god, angel is what it's dealing with there, that each nation does what? God is assigned nations a god, lowercase g. Right, we talked about that, those fallen angels. Who's the God of the children? Jehovah, right? He is to be the God. But as we said last time, what is it that those children have done is they've gone a-whoring after those other gods. They're not satisfied with what they had, right? We've talked about some of those things. Um, now, what is it, when we're looking at this, what is it that's part of Jesus Christ's inheritance is those nations, right? And that's what we see here at the end of Psalm 82. Now, real quick, we kind of threw this out last week. Go to Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> On your way, stop at Matthew chapter 10. Huh? Well, it's a song of Asaph, so it would be from uh, from his position, I would say. Yeah. Uh, get Matthew 10, Matthew 28, and get uh, get Mark 16. Anybody else warm? I feel like I'm sitting inside that refrigerator. That So our, our refrigerator gave up the ghost, apparently, and it's not cooling anything. And I feel like I'm standing inside that refrigerator right now. Matthew 10, Matthew 28, and Mark 16. <clears throat> so I want to take a look at some of these things. Now, in Genesis chapter 12, um, in Genesis chapter 12, God calls out who? Abram, right? And what is it that God promises to Abram? Of you and your seed, I'm going to make what? A nation, right? So he's going to create a nation, which ends up being the children of God. We go on with that. But he says what? The purpose of that is he's going to say to the nations out here, this is what it looks like had you not given me up. Now, in Romans chapter 1, if you remember, in Romans chapter 1, it says God also gave them up. Because in the previous verses to that, what is it that the nations did with God is they gave God up. said, we don't want you as our God. And so God says what? Well, I'm going to turn you over to yourself. You know, one of the worst punishments that you can give to somebody is I'm going to give you over to yourself whatever you want. Because what do we know? about the human heart it's wicked and what's the human heart want wickedness and God says if that's what you want I'm going to give it over to you and that's exactly what he does now notice here in Matthew chapter 10 
Matthew chapter 10. We'll start here at verse 5. Of course, um, what's going on here in Matthew chapter 10 is Jesus Christ is calling out the 12. All right. Verse 5 says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles. Well, who are the Gentiles? That's these folks over here. You go, over, you go back in the Old Testament, and you can find out that God says, What about the nation of Israel? You're not going to be numbered among the Gentiles. You're something special. You're a peculiar people. I'm going to do something through you to show the rest of the Gentiles, the rest of those nations, that I am I am, right? When you go and you think about this, when, when the nation of Israel is in Egypt, what is it that he's actually battling against? Isn't Pharaoh? It's the gods of Egypt. And every one of the plagues is, a, is, a, is pointing out I'm more powerful than this God, and I'm more powerful than this God, and I'm more powerful than this God that they all worshipped. And so every one of those plagues was really an attack on those gods. And what he was doing is showing the nation of Israel, here's my power. And really, what is it that, what is it that Egypt finds out about the God of Israel? That he is God. He's the most powerful. And he destroys all their gods. Now, when we get here, what is it that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself says to the twelve, what's he say? The very first thing, he's, as soon as he picks out the twelve, the first thing that he says is what? Don't go to these people. You realize... Had we been alive during that time, he's saying, don't go to us. There's no way around that. Notice, he says, go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. Now, to deal with the Samaritans issue is what we have to do is know a little bit about the, the history of Israel. What happens with the history of Israel is they go along, and by the time you get to Saul and then David and then Solomon, what happens at the end of Solomon's reign? Well, Solomon becomes a mess. And what happens is, is his kingdom gets end up split up to two different people after he's gone. And then you have the northern tribes and the southern tribes. Well, the northern tribes contain some of those Samaritan folks, and that's what's going on. And here you've got the, Samar or the, the northern tribes, what they do is they say what? We don't want our people to go all the way down to Jerusalem once a year to do the sacrifices. So we're going to create our own Jerusalem up in the north so you don't have to travel as far. One of the things I've always said about that is people say what? Attend the church closest to you. That's where that came from. <laughs> That's where that idea came from. Don't go to Jerusalem. Stay up here. Their fear was is we're going to lose our people to Jerusalem and they're going to stay down there. Now, that's where, uh, that's where some of that stuff comes from, of, of him pulling out the difference between the Samaritans there. Now, what's interesting is in Acts chapter 1, what is it that Jesus Christ commissions the 12 or the 11 at that particular time? What's he commissioned them to do? Go to Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then what? Outermost, work, outermost part of the world. Um, 
By the way, we've said this before, when you go read Acts chapter 1, he doesn't say, go to your hometown. He says, go to Jerusalem. Do we care about this book? Do we care about the words on the page? So when he says, go to Jerusalem, what do you have to do if you want to fulfill Acts chapter 1? What do you have to do? You physically have to go to Jerusalem and do that. You can't do that here in the United States of America. So there's a problem there. You know, you look at that stuff and you're like, people's like, oh, that just means your hometown. All, all 11 of those guys that he was talking to, every one of them was from Galilee. None of them was from Jerusalem. So you're okay. When you start caring about a book, it starts changing the way you think about stuff. You know, it's just, it is what it is. So when you come here, notice he says what? Verse 6, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as ye go, preach, saying what? Kingdom of heaven is at hand. Part of their ministry is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 8, what is part of that ministry? Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And he goes on down through here. What's he saying? When you go and preach the gospel, what does it have to contain? Healing, cleansing, raising the dead, casting out devils, and what? Don't take money because people's going to provide for you. So question, when we preach the gospel, do we do those things? No. Why? Because we're dealing with something different. Now, what's interesting is, you stop there. There's some other things there we can get to. Matthew chapter 28. Now, last time we talked about the fact that um, in Genesis chapter 3, Satan actually gains the positions of power here on the earth, right? Adam gave it up for a grape. He'd already had some places up here in the heavens. Adam says, yeah, I'll take it. And he gives over control. When Jesus Christ is being tempted for 40 days, or he's in the, he's in the, he's in the, he's in the wilderness for 40 days, then he's tempted. What's Satan do? Takes him up into a high mountain and says, all these kingdoms on earth, I'm going to give you. Because they were his. But notice this, Acts chapter 28. We kind of we mentioned this last week. Matthew 28, yeah. Matthew 28. We'll start here at verse 16. <clears throat> Matthew 28, 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, and some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, Notice, all power is given unto me in what? And in earth. 
Now, I want you to stop and think about this. <clears throat> what took place prior to Matthew 28? So you have the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He's buried, and he rose again the third day. He goes and he what? He ascends to the Father, and he comes back down. And these are some of the instructions that they get when he comes back down. He's ascended to the Father. Now, there's one more time he's going to ascend, and he's going to sit what? The right hand of God in the throne. And that's important for us to know. He's seated. We'll talk about that in a moment. But notice what he says. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Verse 19. What's he say? Why is the therefore, therefore? Because he has all the power. And he says, go ye therefore and teach what? All nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever you have command, whatsoever I have commanded, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, a few things that's taking place here. He's saying what? Go teach who? All nations. And baptizing them in what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to do what? What's the things that he commanded them? The law. What is it that they're going to go and teach these people after they're baptized of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost? What is it that they have to follow? When we preach the gospel today, the first thing we tell people is what? You're saved by grace, not by law. And he says, the life that you now live, you live not by the law, but by grace. Is that different? Is that wrong? No. But there's something that's taking place here, right? Now, Mark 16. Mark 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Well, what gospel is he talking about? Kingdom gospel. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Baptized how? Those three, right? Matthew 28. Notice. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And all these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Does that kind of sound like the same thing he said over in Matthew chapter 10? Because that's part of the gospel. So when, you're, when that stuff's going on, what gospel is being preached? The gospel of kingdom is at hand. All right? Now, <clears throat> go real quick to Acts. And this is, this is interesting. Now, one thing we didn't do is over in Matthew chapter 10, he talks about the fact that you're not going to go over the cities of Israel till I come back. So, real quick, 
here's kind of a timeline what's taking place. Jesus Christ calls out the twelve. Judas leaves. You've got the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. After that, he's talking to the eleven and says what? You're going to go and preach this gospel to who? All nations. Beginning, we're going to find out in Acts chapter 1, he says beginning at Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, then the outermost parts of the world. Well, who are the outermost parts of the world? Those folks there. Are they going to preach that one day? Yes. According in Matthew chapter 10, they don't get past that before Jesus Christ comes what? Back at the second coming. So when Jesus Christ comes back at the second coming, those are the people that he's going to be dealing with. Has to be. Verses say that. Now, um, Acts chapter 2. And this is, this, is, this is what's really interesting. And here's what I want you to think about. What baptism do the Gentiles have under the kingdom program? Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Water baptism, sprinkling, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Have you ever thought about why? It is, but you ever thought about why the all three? Have they ever? Do they have God as their God? Do they have Christ as their Christ? Do they have the Holy Ghost at all? They need all three. Has Israel had the God, the Father, Jehovah? they have Jesus Christ? Do they have the Holy Spirit? Now, there's a problem with that, right? We'll talk about it. Notice this. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. <clears throat> but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them. So those next four words. Who's he talking to? Those folks right there? That's his audience, right? All men of Judea. He says what? Verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. What's he going to do? He's going to start preaching to them. Joel chapter 2. Right? Notice verse 22. <clears throat> he says what? Ye men of who? Who's he speaking to? Israel. What is, what, notice what he gets ready to say about these folks. Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. Do they know who Jesus of Nazareth is? A man approved of God. So he's going to tell them, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs. So you stop and you think, why is it that Jesus Christ performed miracles and wonders and signs? To show Israel, I am the Christ. And that's what they missed, right? Notice. <clears throat> Which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken. Who's the ye there? Men of Israel. Ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So God says what? I'm going to send my son, and what did they do to the son? They said, we don't want you. In fact, we're going to put you on the cross. You stop and you think about that. Verse 24, whom God hath raised up. 
So here you've got what? The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God raised him up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. By the way, is he saying, you all did a really good job, and we should praise the Lord for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? It's not good news, right? He is. And what's interesting is, it's a murder indictment that is pushed down to manslaughter. That's really what's taking place here. And when Jesus Christ says, Father, forgive me for they know not what they do. Notice, verse 25. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did, I, did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to what? So there's a throne where Christ is going to be seated. Now, he, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. So you go back to Psalms and you read that. Why? That his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did seek corruption. This same Jesus, Jesus who? Of Nazareth. Now you all know, you saw the signs and wonders and miracles that he performed. This Jesus, what? Hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. Where is Christ now in this verse? Seated, at, seated next to God, right? And we see this, verse 34. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of who? Israel. Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, the same Jesus who? Jesus in Nazareth, to perform the things. He says what? Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye crucify. This is... This is not good news right now. It is. Now notice, whom ye have crucified, both what? Lord and Christ. So when you talk about, when you talk about Jesus, there's a reason that, that Paul brings up a lot, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just Jesus. There's something to that name. One day we'll, we'll talk about that. But he's saying, he's saying to the nation here, he's saying to the nation, he's saying what? 
you're the ones that took him, crucified, slain him. You did not recognize him as who he was supposed to be. Did they have ample opportunity to? Now we're going through Matthew. We see it over and over and over again. More and more opportunities. And here's what's interesting. Who is he talking to? Men of Judea, men of Israel. It's who he's talking to. Notice. Now when they heard this, who's the they? The people he's addressing. They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we, who's the we? What shall we do? Who? These folks. Is he talking to these guys yet? Second coming's not taking place, so he's not talking to them. Notice what, ha what happens here. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, which means to what? Change your mind. Right? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of what? I find that interesting. Gentiles have to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. By the way, you know there's churches that split over whose names and how many times and forward, backward, sprinkle, dunk, all that stuff. They split over different things. If you read the verses, what's that who's that baptism for? Gentiles, who's this baptism for? Should be clear, right? Notice what he says. Then Peter said unto them, repent. What did they need to change their mind of? They didn't recognize that Jesus was the Christ. They missed it. They've got it now because he's saying what? The one that you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ now you need to be baptized in the name of who? Jesus Christ. Why? For the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, people come in, they get baptized under the, under the, by the name of Jesus Christ, and what do they get as that is? They get the Holy Ghost. Now, that's an interesting thing we've got to pay attention to that we want to make sure that we're, we're actually mindful of. So when we're looking at that, is there a specific group of people that he's talking to and a specific type of baptism that he's dealing with? And the answer is yes. So then when you think about that, from this point, you get up to Acts chapter 7. So Acts 2 to Acts 7, what is it that they're going to go and do? They're going to go to the people of Israel and say what? You've crucified him. You need to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and when you do, you get the Holy Ghost. Yeah. When you say you get the Holy Ghost there, yeah. are we talking about individuals actually being indwelled with the Holy Ghost? Is that what you mean? Well, I mean, the, what, what's part of that are the... What, well, what's part of it would be the, the manifestation of those sign gifts and stuff like that, too. Yeah. Yeah. But as a group... You start seeing those things individually, too. Um, but now, you notice, uh, keep on going down. Verse, verse 39. For the promise is unto you. Who's the you? And to your children. And to all them that are what? Who's afar off there? Don't say Gentiles. <laughs> it's the ones that are scattered of the nation of Israel. You go back to Daniel 9, you see that. 
But a lot of people, what they do is they'll say, those that are far off, well, that's the Gentiles. Not there. There's another point where you're going to have far off, you're going to have some Gentiles that are far off. That's not who he's talking about there. He's talking about those that are scattered. The ones that were not there on the day of Pentecost, they're out there all over the country, all over the world. Notice, even as many as our Lord our God, as the Lord our God shall call, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this what? Now, Wednesday nights we're talking about, you've got believing Israel and unbelieving Israel, two groups of people of the nation, right? And that's, what he's, that's who he's dealing with there. Notice, then they that gladly received his word were what? What did they do? They believed what he said. They trusted in what he said. And because they trusted in what they, what they said, what did they do? They changed their mind about who Christ was, and they did what? Were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And you go on down through there. Um, so it's interesting when you see those things. But one of the things I want you to think about is one day Jesus Christ is going to inherit the Gentiles because the nation is supposed to do what they're doing. Well, what happens in Acts chapter 7? At the stoning of Stephen. So is the nation doing what they're supposed to do? By the time you get to Acts chapter 7, no. And they, they commit what? Blasphemy of the Holy Ghost. Now, we've been going through that in Matthew chapter 12. What's that mean? They can't be forgiven by that gospel anymore. Not Gentiles, but the unbelieving Israel. That leaves them in a bad place. Do you know what God does? I'm going to give you another opportunity with a completely different gospel. That gospel can't be the same as this gospel because this gospel they can no longer be saved by. And he says what? I'm going to give you a different gospel. That's why, that's why what happens with, with Paul and I. Now, what's going to happen, what should happen is, um, had the nation done what they were supposed to do, what were they going to do? Well, they were going to go to Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then outermost parts of the world when Christ comes back. Now, of course, that's after what? 70th week of Daniel time of Jacob's trouble, tribulation period. Christ comes back. During that millennial kingdom, what are they going to be doing? Going to the outermost parts of the earth. And so when, when we talk about you can't fulfill what most people call in, in Matthew 28 and Mark 16, you can't fulfill what most people call the Great Commission because you're not starting at the right place. And Christ hasn't come back yet, so no gospel should go to us if we were doing that. Because the words matter, right? But here's what's going to happen. Redeemed Israel will one day carry that out through that time. After the dispensation of grace, we're gone. And what's going to resume? That program. And redeemed Israel will do that, and they're going to carry this out during that millennial kingdom. They will, they will fulfill what they were starting to do back here in Acts 2. And that will take place. 
Um, what's well, I won't do that. Go real quick, Second Corinthians chapter two. What's going to take place is one day, Jesus Christ will actually what? Inherit those Gentiles when they go and preach to them out there. And then what are those Gentiles going to have to do? The law. Now what happens is, if you just start mixing stuff up, what happens is we go to Gentile nations now and say, you got to follow the kingdom. And then they say, well, we don't really believe the things in Mark 16 are really real. They're just allegorical. Well, the problem is, as soon as you make... Here's the thing. I believe... Mark 16, where they're going to take up serpents, they will physically, literally take up serpents and it will not harden them. They're going to literally, physically be able to drink any deadly thing and it will not hurt them. Because that's a promise that God made to them out there. Don't make it allegorical and say, well, you know, whatever your problems are, God, that's not what it is. Yeah. They would have to. to survive. Yeah, because you think, what's going to happen when all the world's water system is messed up? They're going to be able to drink deadly water, and it's not going to kill them. That's a good thing to know. You know, all the stuff that, you know, I don't, I don't think a lot of people are talking about it much anymore, but all the water problems up in Flint, Michigan, like, you think that's bad? The water's world system will be completely a mess, and they're going to need, and God's going to be able to provide that stuff, but they're going to be able to drink deadly things, and it's not going to hurt them. So we believe Mark 16. We just know it's not for today. We know where to put it. So you, know, you think about those things. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. <clears throat> Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll start here in verse 1. But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if, you, if I make you sorry, who is, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote unto you with many tears that you should, not be, that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if, I, but if any have uh, caused grief, uh, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. Now, <clears throat> This issue, verse 4, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might, have, but that you might know what? The love which I have more abundantly unto you. Now, go real quick, First John chapter 5, and kind of keep that in mind. Paul's going to be writing some things 
There's a purpose that he's writing it. Notice here in 1 John chapter 5, we'll get a couple other verses, pull that together. 1 John chapter 5. Start here. Um, let's, just, let's just look at um, verse 19. <clears throat> 1 John is written to who? Folks that are going to be alive during that tribulation and on. Now, what takes place in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, what he's doing is he's saying, in, in fact, here in chapter 4, he says, here's some issues that you need to look for for people that are teaching the doctrine wrong. Chapter 5, we get some of the same, same types of things of the overcoming faith. Notice in verse, we'll start in verse 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in what? Wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him and uh, that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now, if you notice there in verse 19, he says what? And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in what? Wickedness. Now, go back to Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> there's, there's some issues. Paul writes to the folks in Corinth about some of their issues. We see here in 1 John chapter 5. The, the, the wickedness. Notice here in, in Colossians chapter 2. Um, let's start here in verse 14. <clears throat> now this is something completely different. But notice here in verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Now, you know how you write stuff down and then you go back and you read it and like, that's not the verse I wanted? That 2 Corinthians 2 is not what I wanted. It just hit me. I hate when I do that. But anyway, that's fine. You needed, you needed chapter 2, verse 4 anyway, in 1 Corinthians. I needed 1 Corinthians. But here, here's what I want us to do. Notice this, and we'll, we'll put this together. Right here, what's he say about the cross? He takes the, ordinance, the handwriting the ordinances that was against us, contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailed it to the cross. What's he say in verse 15? And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now, what's the it there? The cross, right? That singular event did something. Paul reveals a whole bunch of stuff to us. What's he revealed to us here is he does what? Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now, when you think about... You, you know that phrase, to the victor belong the spoils, right? So let's go get the right one, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. In 
when I was reading that, I was like, well, I don't know. I kept figured I'd just keep going and see if I can find what I wanted. But here's what I wanted. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And, and we'll see this. Verse, we'll just start in verse 3. He says, um, and, I was, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of what? Now, part of what we're talking about here is, is Christ was given what? Power in what? Heaven and earth. Now, notice this, verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the what? Power of God. Well, what's the power of God? Well, he's talking about, if you look back at chapter 2, or ver chapter 1, verse 18, he says what? For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. What is the power of God? The preaching of the cross, all right? What's, Paul, says, Paul says that the gospel is the power of God unto what? Salvation. What's the gospel have to do with? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Verse 21. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that what? Believe. What God is doing today is demonstrating this. Drop down to verse 24. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Now, he brings up that issue of power and wisdom there. Back in chapter 2, he brings up power of God. Verse 6. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. Why? For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What is it that he did? He spoiled the principalities and powers. What's interesting is he's doing what? Through the cross, what did he do? He spoiled the principalities and powers, and he takes those positions, and he takes those positions. Takes them back. <laughs> and what's he going to do? One day he's going to give those positions to the nation of Israel and the kingdom, and he's going to give those positions to who? The body of Christ. And what he's doing is, if you look here in Colossians 2, he says, in having spoiled principalities, when you, go and you go, when you go to war and you go and you, you, you fight somebody, what you do is you, you get their stuff, all the things that belong to them. The land, all the goods, all the things that they had there, it is now yours. And that's what he's saying he's done with the principalities and powers. He's gone in and he's taken that. Real quick, Romans chapter 8, and we'll finish up here. <clears throat> Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, he took the power and the authority from the principalities and powers. And what he's going to do is he's going to give it to the nation of Israel and in the earth and the body of Christ in the heavens. Notice this. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8. We'll start here in verse 35. He says what? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things 
the things that he's talking about is the stuff he just got through dealing with. He says what? Nay, in all these things we are what? What's it mean to be a conqueror? You take stuff. To be more than a conqueror is what? And it can never be taken from you. What, because we're in Christ, and, and he goes down through, and that's why it's so important to understand that. He says what? Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, he's taken power back in both of those positions, and he's going to give it to the, each group individually, and neither one of them are ever going to lose control of that ever, ever again. And you think about, then, and, and notice verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, notice, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Part of what he gained there is the positions of rank and authority in the heaven and the earth so that he can be what? The most high God. But then he's going to give it to particular groups of people. And notice, principalities, power, there's nothing that can get you now. What's interesting is you go through there, the only person that can, can change any of that stuff is you not thinking about what God's done for you the correct way. One, by saying, well, I'm Israel. You don't realize what you've given up. By going and saying, well, you know, life's, life's hard and I'm not going to be. He said, and it, you know, you, you talk about the spiritual war that we're in, the warfare that we're in. Who are we battling against? It's not just people. Principalities and powers. And what's he say about the principalities and powers? Paul says, I'm persuaded. I'm completely and totally convinced by what God said that none of those things can, can take me away from the love of God. Can't separate me. I've got it. And I can't be taken out. You want another verse for eternal security? Right there you go. You can't get out. There's nothing there that can get you out. The only thing that can change there is your thought, not understanding who you are. You're still in it, but you might think you're not. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Now, 